Greetings and salutations to our listeners and subscribers, and welcome to episode four of the Pharmacist Matters podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bates. I've almost lost track of what week of the pandemic we are in. It has been an interesting era to observe how society continues to adapt to the restrictions of movement and practicing social distancing. In Ontario, we have entered into phase one of the economy reopening, and already phase two is delayed as new COVID-19 cases emerge. I'm sure we all saw the news of people gathering at beaches and public parks with the warmer weather upon us. As more time goes by, it becomes increasingly difficult to ensure that the public adheres to the safety measures. I know I'm gonna find it very interesting to see how many of the consumer behavior changes will stick around and what types of healthcare transformative forces will impact how healthcare is delivered. One of the thoughts I have, for example, is how will virtual health continue to be offered as a service? Is it here to stay? We know that the technology has been around for some time, but the adoption of it has been hit and miss. One of the hopes I have for this new era that we're entering into, or the new normal, as many people say, is to ensure that we continue to offer these types of services to patients, be it in pharmacies or through technology and virtual care. Other questions I have is, will working from home be more accepted and a permanent part of corporate cultures moving forward? What's the impact to real estate in downtown Toronto and other major cities? Will we need as much square footage? And how will we measure the productivity and outputs of employees? If we think about it from a pharmacy perspective, if we don't evolve our practice models and seize this opportunity to showcase our value and realize less reliance on the dispensing activities as the primary source of revenue for pharmacies, I believe firmly that the role of pharmacists will become obsolete. We know that artificial intelligence and automation is going to take on a greater role in terms of the core dispensing activities. And if we don't embrace this change of getting more expanded scope of practice with the corresponding reimbursement to truly help patients manage uh, better their health, then we will miss out on this opportunity to pivot. It's not all bleak because there are great opportunities to shift our advocacy efforts with respect to how can we play a greater role to help patients manage during the pandemic and beyond. At OPA, we have shifted our advocacy efforts onto a three-point plan to help the government reopen the economy and support public health efforts. This includes investigating the role of pharmacies in providing testing for COVID-19, which assumes the appropriate level of personal protective equipment. And certainly testing can go beyond COVID-19 into other areas of diagnostic and rapid testing for strep as an example, uh, or rapid HIV testing. But for now, let's focus on what can we do similar to the US and what kinds of models do we need in order to uh, provide a solution to increase capacity for testing of COVID-19. The second point in our plan is to ensure that the high-dose flu vaccine is included in pharmacies. This has been uh, ask of OPA for several years, and given the spike in demand that we're seeing in Australia, upwards of 25%, because patients, the general pop population, is looking at this and saying, I better get vaccinated. So with this upcoming flu season, it's going to be more important than ever 
to ensure that pharmacists are the gatekeepers to discerning who should get the high dose flu and who should get the regular dose. We also need to ensure the distribution of the future COVID-19 vaccine is in pharmacies. We are the most highly accessible healthcare provider and a convenient destination for patients. And as we have witnessed in the past with the flu shot program, patients overwhelmingly prefer to enter a pharmacy for a flu shot. In addition to all of that, we can play a critical role in tracking the data for public health purposes on who has been vaccinated within the population. Now, in addition to our three-point plan, we continue to advocate for the implementation of a government-funded common ailments program and enabling therapeutic substitution to help manage drug shortages. As we have seen with some of the recent surveys, drug shortages continues to be a challenge, and we need to make sure that Ontario pharmacists have all the tools in order to appropriately and safely manage patients. I'm also excited to announce that we will be launching an advertising campaign in the coming weeks and months to celebrate the profession and underscore the value of pharmacists to both government and the general public. Pharmacists have done unbelievable work during this time, putting themselves and their families at risk in order to ensure that patients continue to receive their medications safely, whether it's the measures they put in their stores, increasing home deliveries, and being there for their patients. We need to celebrate what they have accomplished during this time and use this as a springboard to continue to build the positive perception within the public of what pharmacists can do and how they play an integral role within the healthcare system. Throughout the pandemic, OPA's advocacy has been focused on helping pharmacy professionals by providing valuable resources and tools. You will have noticed through our social media uh, platforms, as well as through our member communications, that we've developed a number of guides that provide resources for pharmacists, whether it's from sanitization of their stores to PPE, um, to how to generally manage patients through this uh, pandemic. Today, I would like to talk about two specific areas that have been a focus for OPA since the pandemic began. The first area is PPE or personal protective equipment, which we know has been a constant issue for pharmacy professionals and other healthcare providers. And early into the pandemic, OPA partnered with a company called Ronco to try to get PPE into the hands as into the hands of as many pharmacists as we possibly could. Joining me on the program today is Johnny Paspalowski, and later in the program, joining me will be Jason Kreller from Relief Buddy to discuss our partnership with OPA members. Earlier in the pandemic, both organizations jumped into action to bring a needed solution to pharmacy professionals. Let's start with Johnny. Johnny is the Director of Business Development for Ronco. Ronco is a North American manufacturer of personal protective equipment. Johnny has been with Ronco for more than nine years. Johnny, tell us about Ronco and why Ronco stepped forward to provide this needed service to pharmacists in Ontario. Yeah, most definitely. Thanks for having us, uh, Justin. Um, a little bit about Ronco. So Ronco is a world-class manufacturer of PPE. We've been in business since 1996. The reason why we uh, stepped forward to provide the needed service in the pharmacy was our understanding that was that the pharmacy segment was not being provided with the necessary PPE during the pandemic. I had the opportunity to connect with the senior leadership team at OPA, which supported the statement. Once we had identified the need, we set forth an objective at Ronco 
to provide pharmacies with PPE in order for them to perform their applications in a safe manner. Thanks, Johnny. Um, maybe you could uh, elaborate a bit on the challenges that Ronco has faced in acquiring PPE, as I know there's certainly domestic and global supply chain challenges. And as we hear about, um, you know, many different healthcare providers continue to uh, have challenges accessing uh, quality products and having the appropriate PPE for uh, serving patients. So, so maybe just a few um, uh, observations from your perspective and what you've seen uh, throughout the pandemic. Yeah, most definitely. So we have seen and continue to see challenges externally, but there was also internal challenges we face along the way. So as a global manufacturer with an established customer base, we had to select key products that wouldn't affect their obligation to others. Having said that, we had, a, we had to squeeze in already tight production schedules, these, these key items. In manufacturing, lead times are about three months pre-pandemic with forecasted orders. We did not have the time nor information, but we were ready to take on the challenge. So I convinced our senior leadership team at Ronco the need to step up and create a new division at Ronco in order to support this new business unit, which we established internally as retail. The norm for starting a new business unit usually takes four to six weeks pre-pandemic in our business. We had done so within one week during the pandemic, which is a great success story on its own. Our team put and continues to work around long shifts around the clock to drive this business unit forward. External, externally, it is out of, it's literally out of a movie, best described as the Wild West. Raw material prices are going up 10 times on items such as non-woven, non-woven products being your masks, for example. You have workers in many facilities making much more than they did pre-pandemic. Not having facilities shut down in certain regions, and not until recently we are starting to see 100% of capacity back with regards to staff at some facilities, while many other facilities are still operating at 50% or less. Demand has surpassed supply by nine times on some items like disposable gloves. There's lots of new players that are importing products and PPE products without the expertise in manufacturing, product, and most importantly, lack of quality control, as we've seen on the news. Some factors of why prices are skyrocketing is the willingness of new companies to pay 10 to 20 times more of the market price, which is setting the new market price for raw materials and finished goods. If you think of uh, the house market in Ontario in recent years, people bidding on homes and willing to pay whatever it takes to acquire the home. This is what's going on in the world of PPE today. I find it fascinating. Uh, you know, it, it really is a wild west the way you described it. Um, I know uh, everybody knows knows or thinks they know a guy who knows a guy who can get supply. And, and you've seen uh, some of the devastating impacts of lack of quality control with some of the uh, purchases that Ontario government has made, other healthcare providers, City of Toronto, where they had defective materials. So, you know, I think having uh, a, a solidified and trusted brand like Ronco is really important. And we're quite fortunate at OPA to have forged uh, forward with this uh, partnership with Ronco at a time when uh, really what we wanted to do was make sure that the appropriate PPE got into the hands of uh, Ontario pharmacists. I know we have some, uh, we envision uh, certainly expanding this into other provinces and areas, but our first uh, priority was to get, uh, you know, protection for the frontline and in particular pharmacists. A lot of work has been done uh, on some best practices for the use of PPE, you know, when and how to use it. 
education by uh, the Canadian Pharmacists Association, among other um, provincial and federal uh, national associations. But it's been really helpful to be able to demonstrate the um, value that we've been able to offer our members and, and non-members. And I uh, just wanted you to talk a little bit about what you've seen, your, some of your, your perspectives on uh, the quality issues and what you're, what you're seeing and reading in the news uh, since you've been in this business for so long and supplied uh, many different industries. So um, what I've seen, so there's been lots of new players in the market. And when I say lots of new players, um, a lot of them for the greater good. And uh, the challenge that they're having is it's not a presence in the countries that they're manufactured. So if you look at, for example, the majority of raw materials of non-woven. So when I say non-woven, that's the, the main raw material for masks, for example, and other products like Buffon caps and balaclavas. But uh, in general, you're seeing they don't have a presence in China. Like you said, Justin, someone knows someone who knows someone who has the money to, to purchase the products and sell it here uh, domestically in Canada. Whereas Ronco, we actually have an office, an office of, uh, where we have some of our staff for quality management, as well as we sell domestically in China and have for many years with distribution centers across China, and as well as um, a, very, a very intense quality unit in China where everything is manufactured is to our specifications, of course, and where we have, not, everything's going to be, everyone has, there's room for, uh, in manufacturing, there's room for, um, when it comes to quality, for error, so to speak. But as Ronco's quality with respect to masks and disposable gloves, our room for error is less than 1%, something we're very proud of. That's great to know. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts are about this uh, from a market perspective, uh, normalizing in terms of demand. I think one of the, the concerns that certainly we have at uh, OPA is as the public starts to hear and receive advice from medical officers uh, across the country, including in Ottawa, that uh, the public should be wearing face coverings. Um, you know, we're concerned about uh, having supply of medical grade PPE diverted into, into the public, but at the same time, you know, present some opportunities. On top of that, we know there, there's uh, an upcoming flu season. You know, it seems odd to be talking about flu season in, uh, you know, in, in almost uh, the end of spring, but the reality is that, uh, you know, all the planning that's going to go into uh, the flu season coming up in, in October happens now from ordering of dosages to uh, making sure that um, pharmacists, doctors, nurses all have the um, appropriate level of um, and quantity of uh, PPE. So knowing that there could be a second wave of COVID-19 and even knowing that uh, a couple of weeks ago, the World Health Organization essentially changed it from a pandemic and labeled this uh, COVID-19 as an endemic, meaning it's, it's in its, a sense, permanency um, and will be uh, not episodic. So we know that uh, this isn't going to end anytime soon from a business, but also more globally. What, do you see demand normalizing and, and supply replenishing, uh, or is this our new normal? Very good question. It's very hard to, to answer that. There's so many external environment variables. The demand for disposable gloves, for example, has skyrocketed from seven times, 700 times uh, demand versus world capability of supply to now 900 times. And that just came recently within the past few weeks with Russia and Brazil trying to acquire disposable gloves and more PPE. I see too, there's going to continue to be a, a struggle with respect to raw materials. 
there's um, masks are easier, more say or less to, to manufacture. But when it comes to items like disposable gloves, uh, disposable glove facility is quite large. And obviously there's a lot more than just importing a disposable glove with the lack of uh, facilities. So in a nutshell, it's, it's very hard to answer that question. I personally don't see the light at the end of the tunnel yet. But I hope to hope to see it in sometime in 2021. But I think 2020 is going to be a, a rough year with respect to uh, PPE in our industry. Yeah, undoubtedly. So in some ways, this is a new business opportunity to be involved in, in the pharmacy uh, market. Um, maybe you can just comment on pre-COVID-19. Uh, what was Ronco's primary target markets and and i know you've done some excellent work uh, to re-engineer some of your internal processes to be able to accommodate um, doing some of the uh, individual orders and drop shipping logistics uh, and order fulfillment um, and we've we've certainly uh, now come up with what i would call a very well-oiled uh, process for pharmacies in ontario but uh, prior to all of this what was ronco's um, target market so ronco uh we're a manufacturer, so we're not a reseller. So our target markets were pretty much food processing. So in Canada, Ronco is a, a very, very strong player in food processing, in pharmaceutical manufacturing, as well as industrial manufacturing. But our strongest market vertical globally would be food manufacturing. We have a little bit of a focus to our resellers with respect to the, the, uh, the medical industry, uh, where they sell to hospitals and, and uh, other medical applications. But in terms of our current customer base prior to uh, partnering with OPA and the pharmacies, would, our, lar- our largest one would be food processing, followed by pharmaceutical manufacturing. Um, knowing some of the, the challenges uh, around quality, um, how can the average person uh, be assured of um, you know, the quality of the product and, and the medical licensing side? What, what advice would you have for people, um, whether it's the general public or healthcare professionals that are looking at these types of products? I'll start off by saying this, Photoshop is, a, is an incredible tool. We've seen a lot of, uh, we've even seen our, our certificates circulate in the U.S. And I'm not too sure if I've seen it in Canada with a lot of Photoshop over our documents. But um, what you can assure, be assured is with working with Ronco is Ronco is a quality focused organization. Our mission statement states is we're able to provide our customers with consistent quality products to enhance user safety, confidence and productivity at competitive prices. Our main objective being is to provide consistent quality products. You will find a lack in quality in the market today from others during the pandemic, as most players are reactive to present-day opportunities. Ronco has two quality control teams, both in Canada and in China, as I was mentioning earlier, and all Ronco employees are dedicated Ronco employees. We don't use any agents in order to adhere to our strict policy. Um, Ronco has ISO 9001 for quality management systems, we're also ISO 13485 for the medical, and we also have a medical device license. Our quality manual and policies are online for everyone to view. We are known globally as a quality leader in the market. Our business principles are based on three cues for quality, with respect to quality and processes, quality and service, and quality product. Ronco also has a clean and safe guarantee from the raw materials we source to the manufacturing facilities to control the product. When it comes to uh, quality in a nutshell, you can see where Ronco really strives with quality. It's uh, at the end of the day, it's someone can know someone who import a product or to make get a medical device license under the pressures of the government to get key supplies. But Ronco has been driving quality, and all all our certifications have have been from the 1990s, and 
we continue to adapt and keep up to date with all the ISO regulations being a global company. I like the three Qs. Uh, <laughs> I think that really resonates with people. Um, and it is important for people to understand uh, what's authentic and what's not, particularly as it relates to the greater need for protection uh, and, and safety um, to keep our frontline uh, safe. I think it, one of the things that really uh, grates on me is um, healthcare professionals that either don't have access to the appropriate PPE and are putting themselves and their families at risk um, or have uh, access to defective PPE. So I think this is a, a critical conversation uh, for people to understand that they need to uh, do their due diligence. Um, and on that front, um, I don't know if you're, you're aware of this, Johnny, but the, uh, the government through the Ministry of Health has a, a website where they list um, a number of PPE suppliers and it really PP across the board from hand sanitizer, face shields, gowns, gloves, masks, etc. Um, do you want to discuss? Uh, is Ronco going to apply to be on that list, or did you uh, did you make any decisions on that front? So uh, a little bit about the list. So Ronco was on the list last night. We put ourselves on the list, and for, I wish it was harder to get on the list, but it's uh, it's it's not that difficult to go on the list. We were asked to be on the list. We denied it. We uh, not denied it. Sorry, we didn't want to be on the list. But uh, as of last night, we were on the list. Um, the reason why we felt in the beginning uh, to be on the list is we're a manufacturer. Uh, I would say roughly, by first glance, 90% of the people on the list are resellers. What I mean by resellers is, um, for example, now uh, pharmacies can be on that list because they have product. So, um, so even many of, many of Ronco's customers, mature customer base, is also on that list already. So there's very few to no manufacturers on that list. Ronco is now on that list as of last night. So we just felt as a manufacturer, there was no need to be on that list. But many, many people, I think it's uh, the knowledge of that list, what it really means. A lot of people thought that those were a lot of manufacturers on that list. But at the end of the day, there are resellers. So pro people who import products, who buy products locally here and are reselling it are on that list. But not all of them. And now Ronco is on that list. Well, that's actually great to know um, and appreciate that uh, up-to-date information. Um, so I just wanted to say again uh, how appreciative OPA is of, of Ronco stepping up uh, and providing this needed service for, for pharmacists. I know in terms of our advocacy to government uh, on behalf of our members, a lot of what we're talking about is we shift our focus into scope of practice um, and providing uh, certainly uh, more capacity in the healthcare system, whether it's related to testing or clinical services. And, and I do think we're going to see a, a hybrid model move forward of more virtual care um, and hands-on clinical services in, in stores. But but I do think the, uh, the, the need of PPE is going to drive a lot of that um, decision-making because without the appropriate uh, access to PPE, there will not be um, much appetite um, within the profession to provide these services. So it goes hand in hand, so to speak, um, you know, access to the PPE, um, continual and sustainable access uh, will drive a lot of the ability to not only reopen the economy safely uh, and ensure that we continue to um, not uh, see new cases emerge of COVID-19, but also to continue to have all healthcare providers step up and provide the much needed services. We all know that physician offices, some of them have closed. 
and that has put um, an influx of patients uh, into stores, pharmacies, uh, and other healthcare providers. So, you know, this to me is is one of the linchpins of successfully opening the economy and uh, keeping uh, patients and uh, consumers and uh, healthcare providers safe. So, thanks again, Johnny, for all that you're doing, and uh, you know, we're very appreciative of the partnership. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Justin. I appreciate the partnership with OPA as well. Thank you. Great. So at this point uh, in our program, I wanted to shift focus to have a conversation with Jason Kreller of Relief Buddy. Uh, Jason is the president and co-founder of Relief Buddy. With roots in family business, Jason has a background in working with small business owners, specializing in private capital markets and estate planning. Jason started with Relief Buddy to help create a better staffing solution for the pharmacy industry. Jason, I've heard a lot about uh, Relief Buddy over the last several months uh, as OPA and Relief Buddy have been in uh, various discussions, Um, but I think it would be helpful for our listeners to have a better understanding of what it is uh, that you offer as a service um, and a little bit about the the company. I know you were one of the first uh, to waive uh, fees so that pharmacies could remain staffed during the, the pandemic, which you know, I think is a, is a great uh, indication of your commitment uh, and passion for helping during these uh, unprecedented, uh, challenging times. But uh, why don't you, uh, you know, elaborate a little bit about, uh, about the company and uh, our partnership? Okay, thank you, Justin. I just wanted to take the time uh, to thank you for having me a guest on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure working with the OPA so far and furthering our partnership Um, Relief Buddy, we are an automated relief staffing platform for pharmacies. So what we've done is we've modernized some of the traditional ways that pharmacies had to procure relief staff for their pharmacies. And by doing that, we've been able to create an efficient platform that also saves pharmacy managers and owners time It allows them to have more control over who they're hiring for their relief staffing needs. And due to the fact that we are an automated platform that is available on the iOS and Android platforms, we're able to cut out a lot of the overhead costs, which means that we can pass those savings on to the industry. So we charge generally less than half the fees of a traditional Uh, agency type of staffing solution, which means that those savings get passed on so we can offer higher wages and attract great quality so the pharmacies can have great staff coming in to fill their gaps when they need them. One thing that we really value as a company that is, you know, starting out and growing and very passionate about the industry is that we're highly committed to being part of the pharmacy community and working with industry stakeholders such as the OPA to help contribute in many ways. Now, when the COVID-19 pandemic came about, there was definitely a number of challenges specifically in the pharmacy industry. And the first thing that we thought of as a company was what can we do to help and contribute and do something for these folks that are on the front lines. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty, there was a lot of nervousness, and 
the one thing that we thought we could do was waive our administration fees. So what that meant was we could put a bit more money into the pockets of the pharmacy professionals that were really, you know, putting themselves on the front lines, taking the risks, you know, having to deal with the, the fears. These people are family members, you know, they're, you know, having to go into work. And, you know, one thing we thought we could do as a business and show our support and show that we had their back was waive our administration fee. And to my knowledge, we were actually the uh, first company to do so. And uh, we were very, uh, it was very well received and we were more than happy to do it. So for the months of April and May, uh, we had waived our fees just so we could do a little bit for the community, put a little bit more money back in their pockets. And the OTA relationship has been extremely beneficial uh, for us because we have a resource where we can reach out and determine, you know, different ideas. We can get um, really good perspective on things that are up and coming and really get a good ear to the ground in the industry because we do have that commitment to working with the stakeholders and really helping be a great member of the pharmacy community. One thing that uh, I know for certain is that consumers, um, whether it's B2B or B2C, have long memories and how companies behave uh, during times of crisis, particularly now that we're in this uh, unprecedented time with pandemic uh, planning and, and really uncharted territory. We all are learning from what uh, we are experiencing in real time. And uh, companies like yourself that uh, go the, the extra mile, so to speak, and, uh, and really think about it from you know, good corporate citizenship and how can you help uh, will have, uh, I'm sure, long-term uh, brand equity from, from doing things the right way. So we definitely appreciate that. And I think that's a strong signal for your company's uh, commitment and uh, dedication to the profession. Um, how long has Relief Buddy been around? And, and you know, sort of follow up to that would be uh, just a little bit of background of the company and, and understanding, you know, what are you seeing uh, and, and on the ground in terms of um, resources, the needs, the gaps given COVID-19? I mean, we hear a lot about uh, people having to self-quarantine and staffing challenges because, of course, anyone that comes up with a symptom in a pharmacy needs to self-quarantine for 14 days. So, but I uh, wondered from your perspective, uh, what are you seeing? Because uh, you have, I'm sure, a lot of that data through the app. Right. Yes. So, to answer your first question, uh, Relief Buddy had started in uh, late 2018. The concept was started by a pharmacist. Um, I was introduced to them. Uh, they had just, you know, got a platform off the ground, had a great concept. Uh, knew that I had a number of relationships with folks in the industry. And in January 2019, myself and a couple of other partners, we took over Relief Buddy and we designed the new platform as you see it today. We started out last year doing things the manual way. So uh, we acted very much like a uh, you know traditional agency. However, we did you know have the uh, lower uh, fees attached to our services. But in December uh, 
2019, we finally went out live with our enhanced platform and have been functioning on that new platform since. So one of the things that we saw, because as you said, you know, there was a lot of different, um, you know, there was so much news happening at the start of COVID-19 and everyone was really scrambling to figure out best practices, you know, what to, what not to do, how to manage their, their pharmacy, you know, how to, you know, what, what do they do from a, a, a PPE perspective, but also a, uh, a resource management perspective, because like you say, there was people having to self-quarantine. Um, do they restrict access to their pharmacy? Uh, so they limit the number of customers coming in. Just you know, that on top of the fact that they're so busy on a day-to-day -day basis already with the common pressures just of operating the business. It was very difficult and, and so many uncertainties and everyone was just kind of, you know, trying to figure things out as, as they went. There was news coming out constantly, sometimes, you know, different, <laughs> contradicting news. Um, but the one thing that we did, and, you know, it's a testament to the great partnership and relationship we have with the OPA, is being able to reach out and make sure that we were doing all of the things that we needed to do as a company to protect both the pharmacies and the pharmacy professionals coming into those pharmacies if they needed a resourcing, uh, to fill a resourcing gap. So what we did was we engaged with the OPA, made sure everything uh, was, you know, uh, the, the most up-to-date types of procedures. And the specific thing that we did to make sure that, uh, uh, to ensure the safety of both our pharmacy users on our platform and the pharmacy professionals was that we made sure that every time a shift was created and booked on our platform, the pharmacy, when they posted it, they had to put in, in detail what their COVID-19 precautionary measures were. So every shift that was on the platform in the comments section, the pharmacy professional would see that COVID-19 protocol for that pharmacy. So if it uh, included uh, having PPE equipment available, um, plexiglass, you know, in different areas of the store, specifically uh, the front counter, uh, if it included uh, limited access to the pharmacy, um, all of those different types of things, because we wanted the pharmacy professionals that were looking at the shifts to consider whether they wanted to take them or not, whether they would be comfortable based on the COVID-19 protocol that that pharmacy had been following. So that was very important. And then on the other side, we also wanted to make sure that the folks that were going into the pharmacies weren't going to be provided, uh, pro uh, creating a risk to the pharmacy, uh, right? And uh, make sure that, you know, they hadn't been traveling, you know, different, you know, types of things like that to make sure that both sides were protected. So those are some of the things that we did to make sure that people were safe. 
Sounds like you've made a lot of changes to the app uh, in order to adapt to the current circumstances, which is great to hear. One of the things that uh, I learned um, that you uh, engaged on was to help pharmacy graduates who can't take their exams. Uh, maybe you can elaborate a bit on uh, what that uh, initiative is all about. Yes. Uh, once again, you know, just like any, any business, uh, the need to be agile is paramount especially, uh, you know, when you're a technology-based company. So what we did is, uh, you know, we, we really like to have a good pulse on the, on the industry and what was going on, and we followed things very closely. One thing that we found was there was a greater demand coming through for assistants and technicians. Now, that increase in demand is very difficult to manage, because there's actually a limited supply in those resources from a temporary staffing perspective. So the one solution we looked to was, you know, there was a unique opportunity right now um, because, you know, those fourth year grads hadn't had the opportunity to finish off their, you know, final exams to be fully licensed. So since there was this, you know, need for technicians or, and assistants, and other staff, we talked to the OPA and engaged with our partners at the OPA uh, to talk a little bit more about the dynamics and how those how this could actually you know work and how we could integrate this into the app. We actually worked with some of the folks at the U of T and engaged with them as well to talk to them about how they could potentially reach out to their membership, you know, their 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 students to get the word out about the changes that we were making. And we worked with our development team in order to create a new role. So what we did was we created the, a, a new role uh, for students and uh, interns. So those fourth year grads were actually considered on the Ontario College as interns. So yes, they could do a lot of the things that a, a typical pharmacist could do. They did need a little bit of supervision, but what that did was that allowed us to create a resource and adapt so that we could take on the increase in demand in different roles and also provide opportunities for those folks that unfortunately had got caught in the middle with all of these things going on. So it was good because we were able to engage once again with the industry stakeholders to provide uh, and adapt and, and, and get a solution out there that met the needs of the changing times. It's really fascinating to me how you have evolved the app and, and really uh, filled some gaps for, for pharmacists and, and pharmacy professionals. Um, maybe uh, to conclude, uh, it would be great to hear from you on the model and what it means to keep it in the family. Um, you talked a little bit about waiving fees and some of the referral programs, but you know, just uh, to emphasize this um, as a keep it in the family business. Right. Well, I'm glad that you asked that, Justin. So that is one of our philosophies at Relief Buddy is, you know, like I said, we're passionate about the pharmacy industry. We like to, and yes, I, I, I do use that uh, key term, uh, keep it in the family, um, you know, and, and I mean that when, uh, when we talk about it. So what that means is, um, you know, we, we like to give, so we're a resourcing company first and foremost, you know, human resources. 
And what we like to do is offer as many opportunities for those in the pharmacy community as possible. So one of the things that we've been doing um, is offering uh, employment opportunities for uh, pharmacy students. So we've had a number of pharmacy students working with us. We really want to give them the opportunity to earn some uh, money uh, and be able to work in a capacity that helps them develop other skills outside of working directly in a pharmacy practice, but learning some of the other uh, types of skills um, that could really complement uh, them and create you know, leadership skills and things like that. So when they go on in their careers, you know, they have other skills that they've developed and been able to uh, adapt and, and apply uh, when they get out into the industry. So we're really passionate about helping those folks out uh, we have referral programs where we like to, you know, give back to the folks that, you know, refer us to other people, whether it be for permanent positions, things like that. Um, so we really like to, you know, find different ways for, you know, the pharmacy community, especially the pharmacy professionals um, on the platform to earn different sources of income, right? So we're really, we're really passionate about that. We're going to continue to you know, try and employ as many people as we can that are directly related to the pharmacy community and keep it in the family. Thank you, Jason, for sharing your insights and additional information about Relief Buddy. I feel connected to you in ways that uh, you know I think is worth describing because uh, uh, comically I I get Jason as a name uh, probably about fifty percent of the time from folks um, even though my name is Justin uh, Jason is one of the things that people seem to uh, to call me but uh, I, I feel like at this point uh, in my life there's no no sense in in correcting people so I just go with it so I can be Jason or uh, or Justin. Um, anyways, thanks again for, for joining us. I think that was really helpful for our listeners to gain additional insights into the partnership with Relief Buddy. On our next podcast in mid-June, we will be celebrating Pride Month with a series of special guests. I want to thank everyone today for listening to the Pharmacist Matters podcast. And until next time, be well and stay safe.